Well, good morning. So whether you're uh, here in the auditorium or down in the family room or watching from home or wherever you may be online, it's great to have you with us. And I have to ask a question. Are you your brother's keeper? Are you your brother's keeper? The question that we looked at, that Cain responded, asked God, when God questioned Cain about his brother Abel, am I my brother's keeper, he said. And that was uh, the question after he'd murdered his brother. Paul responds in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, we looked at that Two weeks ago, brothers and sisters, he says, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Paul's answer to the question, am I my brother's keeper? Are you your brother's keeper? Is a definite yes. Each of us who know Jesus have the responsibility to serve, minister, help, encourage, disciple each other when we are overtaken in a sin. Paul responds to that question with a definite yes. And the question we may wonder as well is, did Paul practice what he preached? Did Paul believe? that he had the responsibility to talk with a believer when they sinned. And again, the answer to that question is a definite, a most definite yes. In fact, in Galatians chapter 2, in verses 11 to 14, you don't need to turn there. You can write it down and check it out later if you'd like to, to, to check into all of what happened there. But Paul called out Peter. Peter was a hypocrite, Paul says. And he had to be called out because of his hypocrisy. And you can check out these verses to find out the, the, the details of that. But basically, Peter had been hanging out with the Gentiles there in the, the area of Galatia, the churches, and, and Paul challenged him because when some of the Jews came from Jerusalem... Pastor James' representatives from Jerusalem came. Paul, or Peter changed his actions. He changed his perspective. And he no longer hung out with, ate with the Gentiles. And this created a problem. In fact, these verses tell us that Barnabas even became a hypocrite. And Barnabas, of course, was used as, in a great way in the churches there as the, it began in the first century. We're told even in Antioch, where the Christians were first, or where the disciples were first called Christians, Barnabas had a significant role in that ministry. But Barnabas even got caught up in Peter's hypocrisy, and Paul had to deal with that sin in a public way. That was a big deal. Relationships are hard. We've been dealing with that. We've been talking about conflict in relationships. How do we respond? How do we deal with that? Friendships are even harder than just relationships. 
especially if they're go- you're going to be a real friend, if you're going to be a godly friend, if you're claiming somebody as a believer, as a friend, it gets tough. It gets sticky at times. It feels like relationships today are harder than they've ever been, huh? Why is that? Just a week or so ago, reading New Morning Mercies, Paul Tripp said this, Why are our relationships such a struggle? Why do we have to strive to live in peace and harmony with those whom we say we love? Why are our relationships marked by so much conflict? Why do we experience so much irritation, hurt, and impatience? Why? As brothers and sisters in Christ, simply put, the answer is sin. That's why. Sin. Small three-letter word that's really Huge with influence, sin. We're self-absorbed, we're self-focused, we're selfish. That's what sin does to us even as believers. Listen, sin ruins relationships, right? You may not have thought about that like that, but when we have a relationship that is destroyed, whatever it may be. It may be a husband and wife. It may be something, uh, uh, it may be a breakup, a divorce, a separation. It may be parents and kids. It may be brothers and sisters with each other. It may be coworkers. It may be classmates. It may be teammates. Whatever it is, sin ruins relationships. And that's really what James is talking about in those first couple of verses of James chapter 4. And I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles with me to James chapter 4. But when we understand sin creates conflict and arguments, sin makes living at peace with others and with God basically impossible. We've been saying this throughout our study, that Sinful people tend to respond sinfully when sinned against. Sinful people tend to respond sinfully when sinned against. And we know that in relationships, conflict comes because of sin. So what do we do about it? How do we respond? How do we deal with that sin? How do we... How do we work through conflict in relationships? Well, in the first three chapters of James, back in the month of August, man, I can't believe it's going to be October this month, this week. Wow, already. And uh, when we began back in August, we started in James chapter 4, and we looked at the first three verses, and we saw... When James asked, what causes fights and quarrels, arguments among you, among you? He's not talking about a world war. He's not talking about the Roman Empire battling and they're fighting and conquering. He says, what causes fights and quarrels 
among you. He's talking to the believers. He's talking to, to churches. He's talking to those who know Jesus. And he says, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? We as individuals, where the problems begin, and, and we have been dealing with this idea, we're in this together. And today we're going to talk about the need to get serious about our relationship with God. As we've talked, as we've dealt with conflict in relationships, we've talked about the fact that we sin. In the midst of those relationships, we have to look at us first. We sin. And then, of course, because sinful people tend to respond sinfully when sinned against, we know that other people will sin against us. And in the midst of that, we talked about the need for us to be ready to confess, to admit, to acknowledge our own sin. We need to do that. There are times when we'll need to forgive somebody. When we're sinned against, we may not want to, we may not feel like we ought to, but we'll need to practice forgiveness. We will need to love our brothers and sisters enough to be concerned about their sin when they fall into sin, to come alongside them, to help them deal with that sin, to help them get back on the path to following Jesus. And as we wrap up our series in this together, with all that we've talked about, the bottom line is we must get serious about God. That's really what we need to deal with. As you would look throughout the book of James, you would find time after time after time, the first two verses of chapter 1, James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greeting. He says, verse 2, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Go down to verse 19, chapter 1, my dear brothers and sisters. Go over to chapter 2, my brothers and sisters. Down to chapter 3, verse 1, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers. He talks to, the, to those who know Jesus. He's saying, my brothers and sisters, my fellow believers. He has a burden. He has a concern for the believers. He's concerned that they take God seriously, that in their walk with God, God is at the center of their lives. That is critical. But he says to them, after having said in the first three verses, hey, the fighting and quarrels among you come from within you. You as a group, the plural yous there. And that's where it's beginning. And so then he goes, he's, he's worked up. He's been saying, my dear brothers and sisters, my fellow believers. But verse 4, he says, you adulterous people. Wow. Paul, that sounds a little, um, Peter, that's, I'll get it, James. Yeah, I talked about Paul and Peter already, but James, James, as much as he loves these people, my dear brothers and sisters, he says, you adulterous 
people. He's talking to his brothers and sisters. He's talking to the fellow believers. He's talking to those that he cares for. He says, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. The Old Testament often The prophets talked to the nation of Israel as when they were following other gods, the gods of the ungodly nations around them, when they had walked away from their God, they were guilty of adultery, spiritual adultery. And that's what James is referring to here. He says, listen, you're cheating on God. You said you were following Jesus. You claim to be a brother and sister in Christ. But you're cheating on God. You're an enemy of God. If you're a friend of the world, and what he was just talking about with all of the conflict and the fighting and the quarrel, and he said, so then you ask God, you don't get because you're asking for yourself. The indication seems certainly one of the deals that they were fighting is everybody wanted what they wanted. They were out after their own desires, potentially their own pleasures. And he says, you're involved, you adulterous people. You're chasing after the things of the world. You want what you want. And he says, if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. You can't be both. And throughout the James letter here, He talks about the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God and there's a contrast going on and it's the pursuit of God versus the pursuit of the world. The world is that system that in which we live. We're not talking about the, the, the earth that we live on. Uh, we're, we're talking about the system in which that, that, that is all around us in our culture, in our world, in our country that is opposed to God. We many times think of the world, we talk about people living in a worldly way, talking in a worldly way, dressing in a worldly way. It's not the external things, though it shows there, but it's in the heart and the worldliness, the world system is everything that is completely opposed to God. That's what worldliness is. And he says, you're Being friends with the world. You're choosing things that put you at odds with God. You're now an enemy of God if you want to be a friend of the world. Understand you're an enemy of God. You adulterous people. Wow, this is a bad situation, folks. This is not pretty. This is not how those who know Jesus ought to live. This is not how those who love Jesus ought to be living. This is not how those who are following Jesus ought to be acting. And as a result, James' heart is breaking. He's burdened. In fact, he says to these believers that he's calling adulterous people, he says, you're cheating on God, but understand, look at verse 6. He said, but he gives more grace. God is so patient. Peter dealt with that. But he says, God 
gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. God always provides the means necessary to follow him. He says, I know you're involved in relationships with the world. You're acting like adulterers. You're, you're involved in friendship with the world. You've now become enemies of God. But understand this, God gives more grace. Huh? Huh? <laughs> he keeps giving. And he gives so that we can do what he tells us to do so that we can pursue him, so that we can break off that friendship with the world, so that we can follow him. He gives more grace to be humble. We're going to get to that. Wow. You see, God's grace isn't just that which saves us. It is that power, that strength that also strengthens us, enables us to live for him on this earth. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Amen. But it also allows us, it's the grace of God that allows us to break off those friendships with the world that make us an enemy of God. So how do we do that? Well, we get serious about God. And really, when we talk about this whole business of conflict and relationships that we've been spending the last two months on, we've got to be serious about our walk with God. We've got to get serious about God. James gives us some steps here in verses 7 through 10 that will help us to be serious, that will help us to not be friends of the world, to not be enemies of God, but to be those brothers and sisters who love God, who know God, who are following Him and walking with Him on a daily basis, that are not cheating on God, but are being faithful to God on a daily basis living for him. So what are these? Well, verses 7 to 10, there are actually, if you counted them up, there are actually 10 commands or 10 imperatives that James gives us as things that we ought to be doing. And I've just kind of put them together in three thoughts that if we're going to be serious about God, number one, you've got to get in line. You've got to get in line. Look at verse 7. Here's what he says. Submit yourselves then to God. He just got done saying, he said, all right, God gives more grace. He opposes the proud, but shows favor, literally shows grace to the humble. And so what we need to do, first of all, is to get in line, submit ourselves to God. That's a military term. It means to rank under so that I was never in the military. I was in the Boy Scouts, not quite the same. Sometimes it 
felt like it, although, you know, we had our scoutmaster, okay, fall in, they'd yell, right? And we all had to line up across, and, and we had to learn how to stand at attention and what at ease meant. And please, I'm not in any way suggesting that that has any likeness to the military, except we had to learn how to stand at attention, fall in, and that kind of a thing. Hey, the idea of submission is get in line, fall in line underneath the authority that God has put there. Really, the idea is obey. Simply put, to submit is to put yourself under the authority of God, to make sure the things that are important to God are also important to you and me. To make sure that the things that matter to God are the things that matter to us. To make sure that the priorities that God has established in his word for us are also the, 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 those priorities that we live out each day. When God says this ought to be a priority, we make sure that it is. It has to do with surrendering your will to God's will putting ourselves under, get in line under his authority in your life. That's the idea. Submit yourselves then to God. We must want what God wants, pursue what God pursues in our lives. That's the idea of submission. But then he says, resist. What? Resist. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, if we're going to resist the devil, we got to get in line. But that's part of resisting the devil is, is all of that. We were at uh, Rosario's the other night to get some pizza, right? You know Rosario's? Man, amazing pizza. But on Friday night, that's not the place to be. <laughs> I mean, the, especially now. <laughs> I mean, the line. Out the door, I mean, the boxes inside were piled up. The line, like out, two people in at a time, but the line is first out in the parking lot. You couldn't even get in. Then they, somebody moved it down the sidewalk, and it just kept going and going. And, and we know the COVID lines, right, folks? That's the idea. And if we're going to resist the devil, that's part of it. we got to be in line. But if we're going to be in line, we need to, we need to follow through and, and resist well, what does the devil want us to do? He wants us to doubt God. He wants us to disobey God. He wants us to get in line with what the world has to offer. He wants us to cheat on God. He wants to divide our loyalties. He wants us to, verse 11, if you go down further, we're not going to jump into there. Brothers and sisters, there's the term again. <laughs> Do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them, speaks against the law and judges it. I mean, he's saying, hey, that's what, that's what the devil would want us to do. James says, resist the devil. The idea here is that if you resist the devil, and you should, he will flee. Yes, Satan is powerful. We know that. But if we resist, if we stand firm, and, and just check out, write it down and look at it later, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. 
resist, stand firm. That's when I never saw verse 9 like I just did this week. Verse 8 is be careful. The Satan, like a roaring lion, is walking about looking for someone as a believer to devour. The devil wants to destroy us like a roaring lion. He can't take our salvation, but he can make a mess of our lives. And that's where the conflict comes from. Check that out, but the idea is we must resist. We must stand firm against Satan. Don't argue with the devil. Don't try to rationalize. When you know it's sin, obey God. Do not fall in line with the devil. Resist the devil. Because the promise is, if we resist the devil, and we should, he will flee. He will flee. Critical that we understand that. Well, If we're going to fall or get in line, it will require that we also, number two, get close. Get close. Close to God. That's the next step. Look at verse 8. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Get close to God. Do you ever feel distant from God? You don't have to shake your head or don't raise your hand or anything. But we who know Jesus, if we're honest, there are times when we just feel miles away. Feel, I said. And maybe we actually are. We're still a child of God. But something has created distance. Satan. Because we didn't resist. And that's why James goes on. He says, come near to God. Take the first step. You display, you act, you show a desire. You step towards God. You come near to God. In the Old Testament, the priests who came before God in the tabernacle or in the temple they first had to walk through a a, a pretty thorough purification process. And you could go back into the book of Leviticus and study that out and see what the priests had to do before they could enter. And there was a purification process that was involved. They had to get clean before they could get close to God. The same thing is true of you and I who know Jesus. We must get clean before we can get close to God. And that's what James goes on. He says, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you're double-minded, you double-minded. Now, keep in mind, you sinners, he's talking to brothers and sisters in Christ, you double-minded, he's talking to brothers and sisters in Christ. He hasn't changed audiences. These are the same believers that he called adulterers who were cheating on God in verse 4. This is part of that. The sin in their lives. Wash your hands. He's talking about deal with your outward sin. Quit it. But then he says, purify your hearts, you double-minded. What's the deal? What's the difference in emphasize? This he's talking about the heart. That which is in us. 
We know what's in us will come out. What's in the heart will show itself externally. It always does. That's a biblical principle. He's saying get your hearts right so that your actions are right, so that your attitudes are right, so that your motives are right. Stop messing around with the world. Deal with your sin. And then he goes on and he says in verse 9, grieve, mourn, and wail. He's not saying, be a grumpy Christian. He's not saying that. What's he, why is he, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. What's he talking about? He's been dealing with sin. He's saying, take your sin seriously. Be aware of your sin and your guilt and repent. Confess your sin. If you're going to get close to God, you've got to get clean. You've, you can't just haphazardly, just kind of superficially look at your sin and, uh, ah, yeah, it's there. I'll get to it. Change your laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom. Take your sin seriously because we can't get close to God if we're not clean. If we're not right with God, we can't get close to God. We've talked about 1 John 1, 9 any number of times in our study on conflict in relationships and that is just critical that when there's sin in our lives we admit it and deal with it we say the same thing about our sin that God does confessing your sin is not just I'm sorry no we call it what it is we say it's sin we confess we say the same thing about our sin that God does we don't call it a mistake we don't call it uh, oops. We call it sin. And that's a problem in our churches today. And when he calls this group of people adulterers, that's who he's talking to. They're cheating on God. They've got other relationships. Deal with your sin. And the third step is, bottom line, you must get humble. Get in line. Submit and resist. Get close. Come near. Wash your hands. Purify your hearts. Get humble. Verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. He will exalt you humility is the opposite of pride he said that in verse 6 when he talked about an old testament verse when he said god opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble humble yourselves before the lord that is the opposite of pride and selfishness humility assumes dealing with sin humility assumes repentance humility assumes that we've gotten clean and sometimes we struggle with pride it's because we're not dealing with the sin we haven't gotten clean 
That's why James says that first. In order to be humble, in order to put God before yourself, the idea literally is to make yourself low, to get down on your knees before God. If that's what you need to do. If you humble yourselves, and you should, He will lift you up. That's what James says. One of the writers that I looked at this week says this, Humility is opposed to the attitude of reckless, arrogant indifference to God. Reckless, arrogant indifference to God. Are you indifferent in your relationship with God? You say, what do you mean? Is it just apathy? Is it just, well, so what? No big deal. Is it just it really doesn't matter one way or the other? Yeah, I get it, but eh. Indifferent to God, really, as brothers and sisters in Christ? Those who know God? Listen, these verses... And it hit me as I was studying these, this text. They're about God. They're about who God is and what he deserves. You say, well, wait a minute. It talks about uh, quarreling and fighting amongst believers. Yes, it does. But why? Because they're not focused on God. The text is about God. The text is about how big is God. The text is about humbling ourselves before God. Folks, when we understand the bigness, the hugeness, the giganticness, I don't know if that's a word or not, of God, when we understand the creator God that sent Jesus to die on the cross, the creator God that loves us, who is our Father, when we understand the bigness of God, we don't have any trouble being humble before Him. We don't have any trouble running away from, from the affections or desires of the world because we understand how big God is, that He is God, that our Savior Jesus is God, that the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, who's regenerated us, that He is God, the triune God. And when we understand the greatness of our God, humility is not a problem. In fact, when we understand how great God is, sin is not a problem. You see, when we forget about who God is and what he's done for us, that's when sin becomes a big issue. When we're living for ourselves, the first three verses, when we're cheating on God, verse four, when we're prideful, proud, when we're full of selfishness, self-focus, self-centeredness, all of that, when we're that way, we're not thinking about God. We're thinking about us, and that's when the conflict comes. James says, humble yourselves before God. If you 
humble yourselves before God, and you should. He will lift you up. Energize you spiritually. Strengthen you with his grace. He gives more grace. Who? God gives more grace. Submit to God. Resist the devil. Get close to God. Clean up your life. Wash your hands. Purify your hearts. Why? Because God is our Savior. When we understand who God is, humility is not a problem. But until we do, we get in Luke chapter um, 6. Luke chapter 6, why, this is a question that Jesus asked. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? And then you know what's after that? The wise man and the foolish man. And you know what the difference between the wise man and the foolish man is? One obeyed and one didn't. One said, Lord, Lord, but he built his house on the sand. One said, Lord, Lord, and built his house on a rock. The difference between the two is obedience because they both knew the same thing. They both had the same information. The wise man obeyed. The foolish man ignored it. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I really think that's what James is talking about here. You adulterers, brothers and sisters, you're cheating on God. Why do you call him Lord, but don't obey? We're enemies of God when we're friends of the world. So what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about this? It's real easy every Sunday morning for you to hear a message. I thought Fred did a fantastic job last week in challenging us. He spoke from his heart and years of experience. But it's real easy just to walk out the door and, eh, hey, that was great, but mm. it'd be real easy to walk out the door today and just, okay, yeah, thanks, I got that, I understand, okay. Yeah, I don't, there is a distance, I don't feel that closest to God, but eh, maybe I'll, maybe I'll do something, maybe I won't. What are we going to do about that? That's what James is asking. What are you going to do? What will you do to get serious about God? Community groups this week, dig into that. How will your life be different? Because of those 10 statements, imperatives that James gives you in verses 7 to 10. How will your relationship with God be different? Are you under the authority of God and opposing, resisting the devil? Get in line. Are you close to God? Are you serious about dealing with sin or is sin messing up your fellowship? It won't change your relationship, but it messes up your fellowship. 
Is what God wants more important to you than what you want? That's what James is asking us. Humble yourselves before God. Or are we just indifferent? Uh, Yeah, I I know. Yeah, sometime. I know I shouldn't be this way, but sometime. God wants to show you grace. He gives more grace. God wants to lift us up, to exalt us, to spiritually energize us, to raise us up above all of the stuff of this life and draw us to him. Because when we draw near, when we get close to God, he will get close to us. But we must take the first step. Wash your hands. Purify your hearts. Follow Jesus. Father, thank you for your unconditional love. Thank you for your patience with me. Oh, God, help us to understand, to have an awareness of how great you are like we've never had before. Fill our minds with that great picture that you paint for us in in your word of who you are and all that you've done. And help us to be serious about living for you in the midst of this crazy, dark, evil world in which we live. Oh, God, help us to shine as lights for the glory of God. For it's in the great powerful name of Jesus, I pray this morning. Amen.